You're listening to Autumn on the Air, the weekly podcast that brings you conversations about the impact of research commercialization and the people who make it happen. Join us for interviews with patent and licensing professionals, innovators, entrepreneurs, and tech transfer leaders on the issues and trends that matter most. Keep listening for an inside track on the people, IP policies, and politics changing our world. Welcome to Autumn on the Air. I'm your host, Lisa Mueller. I'm so excited for today's episode, but first, I'd like to thank this week's sponsor, Wellspring. Wellspring is a leading provider of innovation ops software for research institutions and corporate clients worldwide. Every day, more than 500 organizations rely on Wellspring's tech transfer and technology scouting systems to support their work. Learn more about Wellspring's products by visiting their website at www.wellspring.com. Joining us today is Matthew Bryan from the World Intellectual Property Organization, also known as WIPO, based in Geneva, Switzerland. Matt is the director of the Patent Cooperation Treaty, also known as PCT, Legal and User Relations Divisions, Patent and Technology Sector. Matt received his JD from BYU Law School and after receiving his degree, clerked for two years at the United States Court of Appeals for the Federal Circuit, one year for Judge Randall Rader and one year for Judge Marion Bennett. After the Federal Circuit, Matt moved to Geneva to work for WIPO, where he's been for over the last 30 years. Welcome, Matt. I'm so excited to have you on the air. Thank you very much. Well, I'm really excited to have you here today, Matt, and to have this opportunity to talk to you in depth about the PCT. But before we get there, as I mentioned during the intro, you were a law clerk at the Federal Circuit in the U.S. for two years, and then you went to Geneva to work at WIPO, where you've been for the last 30 years. Can you tell us a little bit about how you ended up in Geneva and at WIPO? Yeah, uh, thanks for the question. So so at that time, uh, WIPO happened to be looking for a young lawyer with IP experience who spoke Spanish, and which growing up in California, I happened to, to speak Spanish. And so WIPO offered me a two-year position. And it was during that first contract that I discovered that I, I really liked the intersection of intellectual property and international law working in the United Nations system. And I especially liked the PCT as a concrete service to private sector users. It was somewhat out of the political fray that some international IP issues experience. And especially, I enjoyed being able to interface with those users directly, doing lots of teaching and training and promotion of the of the system back in that in that period. And it also seemed to me that there was a lot of potential to help the PCT system improve, uh, to, to modify the operation of the system to make it work better, and to try as much as possible to, to take users' views into account, uh, as well as try to improve the information resources that we provide to users and the ones that we use internally uh, in our work. Now, Matt, you're part of the PCT Legal and User Relations Division. Can you tell us more about what this division is and what it's currently working on? Sure. So we do lots of things uh, within the division, but perhaps just as a first uh, high-level uh, response, uh, we are responsible for many of the legal-related functions that are associated with the PCT, uh, as well as managing many of the contact points that we have with actual users of the system. Uh, providing training, 
the information resources directly to the user community, as well as maintaining relations uh, with the users and the user groups around the world. So I would imagine, Matt, given all that your division is doing, that you must have a pretty sizable team. Can you tell us a little bit about the number of people on your team and their makeup? Sure. So we have uh, almost 30 uh, staff in my division. Um, Eight or nine of them are lawyers. Uh, They're organized into two different sections. We have a a broad mix of backgrounds and nationalities. Um, Just off the top of my head, we have uh, nationals from Germany, China, Japan, Republic of Korea, the United States, uh, the United Kingdom, Colombia, France, Italy, Russian Federation, Australia, Canada, Morocco, you know, a, a very diverse group. And among them, we have a number of former substantive examiners from various patent offices around the world. Two of them have PhDs uh, and several with master's degrees. A number of them came to us also from the PCD operations area internally at WIPO. Uh, having learned, you know, the PCD business as formality examiners over many years. And so they brought all that experience over to our side as well. Yeah, that is a very diverse team. It, it's interesting uh, how diverse it is, in fact. How do you go about um, recruiting those individuals? Do you just look in various patent offices around the world? How, do, how does that work? It's a pretty open process. Uh, we, uh, we post, we're required through the UN to post uh, the job vacancies uh, openly. Um, But then, of course, when we ask for certain specific things like knowledge of patents or knowledge of the PCT uh, and specific language uh, capabilities in some cases, then then you can see how it would self-select to people that really have that experience. And and very, very often it's someone within a patent office who uh, would have that kind of background or exposure uh, to detailed aspects of the PCT, but also people from industry, people from outside. Um, uh, apply and get positions. So we, we we cast a wide net and we just want to get the most qualified uh, colleagues, keeping in mind that we need to look like the UN. It needs to be diverse. And in some cases, we really absolutely need various languages so that we can do the outreach and the training that we need to do uh, around the world in a, in, a, in a more straightforward fashion. You know, colleagues giving presentations and doing training in their own native language to those people in the country. Now, the PCT process has evolved tremendously during the 30 years you've been with WIPO. And for example, I remember in the early 90s when I started practicing, uh, e-filing was non-existent. So everything had to go in uh, via paper or or fax. Uh, and the PCT forms looked very, very different than they do now. So can you talk a little bit about the evolution of your division over time and what that's meant for PCT applicants? Thank you. Yeah, I remember those early days too, yeah. uh, when everything was was paper, and the forms that we had to create with the check boxes for each country. I remember you had to be we double, <laughs> triple checked. We had uh, yeah. attorneys would double check one another to make sure you didn't miss check a box. It was really, uh, it was kind of stressful at times filing PCT applications. It was stressful, and we had uh, some complicated questions when someone <laughs> meant Austria but but clicked Australia. Yes, uh, that we had to help them with. Yeah, and and uh, on e-filing, I remember sitting in a, a windowless office at the USPTO in 1993, where we sketched out the first uh, kind of rubric of what an e-filing 
system for PCT would look like with with colleagues at the USPTO. Yeah, we've come a long way. Um, uh, when I first arrived at WIPO and I joined then what was the PCT legal division at the time, there were seven professional staff in that division, and we handled everything, uh, oh, wow. all the legal, all the training, the user relations, the informational tasks, all the member state-focused uh, work, such as uh, uh, manning the various PCT bodies that meet, you know, the member state documents we had to draft, acting as the secretariat for those meetings. But then, back then, there were between 50 and 60 member states uh, at the time, and, and very few searching authorities. It was a much smaller, more uh, limited system uh, back then. We, we did everything really that wasn't the actual processing of the applications and the IT work such as it was uh, back in the day. But over time, as the number of member states uh, grew and as the needs of the users for information and training also grew, then the division also expanded. We hired more people. We brought in more capabilities linguistically and, and technically. And the way we created and distributed information also changed. Uh, as as some of your listeners may remember, there was a set of orange ring binders back in the day. That I remember those. Yeah, the, the PCT applicants. Guide yes, many years ago, and and it was a loose leaf service. Uh, it was a subscription model, so people had to pay uh, to get these updates, and it was only updated twice a year. We would send out a big bundle of updates that you would slot into your loose leaf. But of course, over time, as you mentioned, with the significant technology changes that we've all lived through, that important resource for users has evolved into an online free publication on the website, updated now by my colleagues in my division every week, which of course we think is a much better service uh, for the user community. Uh, similarly, the, the monthly PCD newsletter that we started, I think in 1994, uh, began on a subscription model uh, and is now freely available and we publish it every month and you just can subscribe and get notified that it's been published. We also began to use webinars uh, for PCT training in 2009, long before the pandemic uh, made that really the only way to do so. And we also began our info line service out of our division in 2002. This was a a user information service to field uh, direct questions from users and potential users by phone and, and by fax at, at the time and email uh, to provide a, a point of contact for general uh, PCT user questions. So as demands grew, that one small PCT legal division split into separate divisions with more division of labor and division of responsibility. And we now have three divisions handling all that work. One that handles issues specifically with member states. Uh, most of that work is, is mainly with developing countries. Uh, that's called the International Cooperation Division. Uh, and then one which handles mainly the PCT Working Group and the other member state bodies, as well as the ongoing development of the EPCT, EPCT system that you mentioned. Uh, that's called the PCT Business Development Division, in addition to, uh, to my division. Yeah, it's an incredible amount of work that all three of those divisions, I think, are putting out constantly. And uh, speaking of volumes of work, I, I wanted to ask you, I know in 2021, there were about 278,000 PCT applications that were filed, and that was about a almost a 1% increase over 2020. Were you surprised that 
the number of filings increased um, from 2020, given the fact that we were in the middle of a, a global pandemic. And then I'd like to also know how it was for your team during that time handling this volume, given the fact that we were in the, the middle of this pandemic. Uh, yes, I have to admit that I was I was surprised, uh, pleasantly surprised, of course, to see that that even during the pandemic, uh, the filings continued to rise, which which I think is a is a testament, really, to the continued R and D among PCT users around the world. Uh, and, and we have to acknowledge too that in the vast majority of cases, a PCT application is a second filing. So it's a it's a follow on filing to an application that was filed the previous year. So the R and D was done uh, before that. the uh, The first section uh, within what we call the PCT yearly review it's it's an annual publication we put up on the website and 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 listeners can file find the 2021 version uh, up on the main part of our website. It, it contains a really interesting analysis uh, on on just this particular topic. Uh, how the COVID-19 crisis affected PCT application filings. And it, it comes to the conclusion that when you view things through the lens of PCT filings, the COVID pandemic quite predictably mirrored previous economic crises in, in prompting a, a temporary downturn in, in IP activity. But that downturn appears to have been shallower compared to previous crises and, and relative to overall declines in, in output. And in addition, the the evidence that we had suggests that innovation responded uh, in a way that reflects the unique nature of of this pandemic. That is, the the application data indicates that almost an immediate uptick in patenting for health related technologies. Although you know we have to say it remains a little early to assess properly the the true scale and the nature of the the invention response on on how my team adapted. Uh, to all that work during the pandemic, it, it was through the foresight of our IT uh, folks that they are another division in another part of, of the PCT who really had prepared very quietly a, a system that would allow colleagues to, to work from home. Uh, and within one, from one day to the next, uh, we were told, that's it, everyone's working from home. You know, we're shutting the, the buildings, you have to go home. They flipped on this system they had developed, and all of our, you know, almost 400 staff, I think, that work in the PCT part of WIPO were able almost seamlessly. I mean, it took a few days to work out some kinks, but everybody went home, was able to access everything they needed uh, through the uh, through the systems that were provided, and the work uh, almost without a beat uh, kept moving uh, thanks to the support we got from uh, IT colleagues. So we've we've been able to collaborate thanks to tools like Zoom and 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 others, um, have our meetings, discuss with users, discuss with member states, issue documents, update the website, uh, and now we're back in a, in a hybrid mode. But it it was an initial challenge for people to get used to, but I'm I'm so proud of the the work that the team did and how with with great aplomb, as they say, uh, they just took it on the chin and and got everything done. And we really haven't missed much of a beat in uh, in keeping the work going. I would say as a, a very active user myself of, of the PCT system, I didn't notice any hiccups. And I think a lot of my colleagues would say the, the same thing that, you know, it, it seemed like uh, there was uh, everything worked flawlessly, uh, at least from 
the outside looking in during the pandemic. So congratulations. That's really nice to hear. (laughs) (laughs) So Matt, you mentioned earlier that you and your team are responsible for many legal related tasks associated with the PCT. Could you give us some specific examples of some of these tasks? Sure. Let me let me explore that out uh, a little bit more. So, you know that the PCD regulations, the subsidiary legal text, uh, are amended quite frequently, and it's almost almost every year. Yes. In the thirty years I've been there, that they are amended. Now, when a set of regulations gets amended, there's a, a whole bunch of implementation tasks that are required in order to get those regulations into into real practice. And so one thing, uh, one big set of tasks that my colleagues do is the implementing those changes into the legal and procedural framework uh, once they've been agreed by the member states in, in the PCT assembly. So we have the text that's been agreed by the assembly. We then need to draft the changes to the PCT examination guidelines, the PCT receiving office guidelines, the changes to the administrative instructions, the changes to the forms, the changes to the online systems both uh, applicant-facing and internal systems to make sure that all of this is then consistent um, and understandable, and then provide legal and strategic advice to the users about the new changes, so lots of training and outreach to update them, make sure they're aware of of, uh, the changes. And then, of course, uh, part of the raising awareness is making sure that those changes get explained in the newsletter uh, uh, implemented in various changes in the applicant's guide, in uh, texts on the website, uh, etc. In addition to things about amendments to the regulations, we provide legal advice to our colleagues in the PCT operations division, the ones that are actually doing the formality examination of applications in specific cases and, and specific situations. Um, we also, because of our contact with users, often get really good ideas coming into us about things we ought to add to the system or things we ought to fix in the system. So we we work up those changes and, and review them and, and uh, create legal and policy and practice changes for the system as a whole based on all the feedback that we get. My, my team also functions as kind of the problem solvers really for the whole internal PCT system at WIPO. So problem cases, special handling cases, something that results from a problem with a legal issue or a a procedure or from offices. We get lots of questions and and issues from various receiving offices and even searching authorities around the world and from our colleagues in the operations area that uh, something comes up and they don't know what to do and they kick it to us and uh, and my colleagues then sit down and work it up uh, and figure out what to, uh, to propose. We we also get offices uh, coming to us and asking for advice on preparations for exceeding uh, to the PCT for joining the system and then implementing uh, their own system that can be reviewing their draft legislation or draft regulations uh, for consistency with uh, the PCT legal framework. Then we have a another legal function, which is the, the PCT Gazette, it's called. We now call it the PCT Official Notices. It's our official publication organ, and it functions as the, the Gazette itself exists, but in different places, in different parts. The, the Official Notices part is a part of the Gazette that we are required to publish every week uh, to publish certain legal information or information that has a legal character as an official announcement, a way to notify people. So that's a, a constant, you know, weekly uh, task. 
And then there's the maintaining and publishing of the legal and the legal related texts. So the treaty, the regulations, the administrative instructions, the forms, the guidelines, the agreements, all in as many languages as we possibly can. And the goal is always, uh, because there are 10 PCT publication languages, the goal is to try to make sure that we have the treaty and the regulations and all those other texts in 10 publication languages. Um, and that itself provides a, a, a challenge, just getting the translations and keeping them up to date, making sure they're consistent, reviewing them, consulting on them with various uh, member states and offices. So those are some of the, the tasks, the legal-related tasks that we uh, we undertake. Now, one of those legal-related tasks that I wanted to ask you about is you mentioned that your division provides not only legal, but sometimes strategic advice to PCT users. So I'm curious, as like I mentioned before, a frequent user of the PCT system, how does that work? Can you Can someone just email WIPO and ask for assistance if they have a specific legal or strategic question, or they're better off going to their local receiving office? Uh, how exactly does that work? Hmm. Yeah, great question. Um, they certainly can go to their national uh, office, and and we have, uh, you know, good colleagues and good friends all over the world in the various national offices who know a great deal certainly uh, about the PCT, and some of which offer uh, services, you know, to provide uh, information and, and answers to PCT users. We we have such a service at WIPO, so yes, you can. You can just send an email uh, to us. Uh, it's the PCT information service. Uh, colloqu- colloquially, we call it the PCT info line. That's uh, you can reach them at pct.infoline at wipo.int. That's their email address, uh, and either they will answer the question themselves immediately, uh, the colleagues who work on the info line all day, every day, or they will forward it on to one of our colleagues uh, in our division, uh, and uh, that's how we provide regular. PCT legal and strategic and procedural advice. Or you can also call the info line, the the contact details and the phone numbers and all that are on our website uh, between 9 a.m. and 6 p.m. Geneva time. Uh, And they will either answer the question right there on the phone for you, or they will put you through to a a colleague who can help you. Um, We keep statistics about all this just to measure the what we're able to provide in terms of a service and for the emails, at least, something in the neighborhood of, of 95% of the emails which we which are within our competence uh, in, in the info line are responded to uh, within 24 hours. That's impressive. So w- we're proud of the of the service. And most of the time, I have to say, that's uh, for the phone calls, most of that's right there on the phone. But we really, I shouldn't say this quite this way, but we pride ourselves, I guess, in being able to have humans you know, on the phone and answer a question immediately if that's what the user needs, or to give you a more fleshed out answer in an email uh, that you'll get within 24 hours of, of sending it. So we, we try to keep that up. And uh, I, I really appreciate all the colleagues who provide a really dedicated, uh, high quality service in that respect. Now, you also, as you mentioned before, you and your division provides a lot of user relations, outreach, and information services. Can you tell us about some of those programs that you provide? And, and I know there are a lot of them. Sure. So PCT training, that's something that's within our, our mandate, our, our competency. We, we give seminars. And, and, and by that, I mean, you know, not just a presentation or a, a, a webinar. Um, the 
since the since my first time at, at WIPO back in the day, uh, the stock in trade was kind of a, a two-day full-on PCT seminar. So two eight-hour days in a room, slogging through you know every detail of how the PCT system works. I and, did and those. We still give, yeah, <laughs> you did those. <laughs> I, I did those. I've given many of those. Yeah, I'm sure you all have. over the world in all sorts of languages and all sorts of countries. So lots of those, you know, in-person training, of course, that was the only model back in the day that we had. Um, and then uh, we've transitioned, of course, as I mentioned, to to webinars, to online. Uh, we, we train users, we train potential users, we train offices. Uh, we like to just say that we offer training, you know, on demand. If, if a company wants a PCT presentation or training package, if a law firm wants it, oh, if wow. a university wants it. Uh, That's great to know. All you, have to, all you have to do is ask. We're we're happy to provide any kind of training. And if somebody wants a specific kind of training, they want just training on international preliminary examination, the chapter two phase. Great. We can connect you up with one of our colleagues and they can go into depth uh, about all that. So there's the seminars, the webinars, uh, individual presentations. If you want just an update on what the most recent and, and, uh, and future developments are in the PCT, we can do that via webinar, via video conference, via teleconference, in person. Um, uh, there's, uh, I mentioned the InfoLine service. That's one direct uh, way in which we do outreach. And then we spend a lot of time trying to do active outreach ourselves to, to get in contact with the users and the potential users, the companies, the, the research institutions. Uh, if we're someplace, for some reason, we try to look around us and see who are the users in that area that we can talk with. Uh, because it, we've found over the years, it's it's really important that we keep the existing users aware of and up to date on uh, these recent and future developments, and also that we get feedback from them into the process, so that we can further develop and improve uh, the PCT system. We we use some surveys every two years or so. We do a big comprehensive survey. Um, we also try to attend significant gatherings of PCT user companies and, and their representatives in some of the largest user countries and, and regions around the world, because that provides us with a, an efficient way to, to carry out those updates and, and also to get that feedback. And just as one example, I was last week uh, at the IPO annual meeting uh, in Los Angeles. Uh, and in two weeks, I think it's two weeks, I will be at the meeting of the Asian Patent Attorneys Association um, in Busan, uh, Republic of Korea. We we try to take advantage of these big gatherings uh, to sit down with the users, update the, as many of them as we can at one place, uh, and then get their feedback. And then we're always trying to promote greater awareness of the PCT uh, to audiences of, of non-IP professionals um, at WIPO or elsewhere throughout the world. And we've greatly appreciated our long-standing collaboration with Autumn uh, to be able to be at, uh, attend the annual meeting uh, and give presentations there uh, so that Autumn members can uh, get updated on PCT. Well, Matt, you mentioned at the outset of the podcast about how back when you first started with WIPO, there were only about 50 or 60 member states, and it's hard to believe now there are about 156 countries that are members. Uh, how does it work when you're recruiting new members? Do countries reach out to WIPO looking to join or does WIPO reach out to them? Uh, how exactly does that work? Yeah, it's it's changed over time a little bit. It's 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 depended a bit on the personality of the director general. I mean, 
I think I'm on my fourth or fifth director general now. In the back in the early days, Dr. Bosch, who was the kind of the father of the PCT system, he he was the secretary uh, to the diplomatic conference in 1970 when the PCT was established. He felt very proprietary about the PCT. He was a bit more hands-on, and he would uh, uh, he would encourage countries quite actively uh, to to join the PCT. We've I think over the years we've become slightly more diplomatic. Um, and uh, we we don't push them. We generally uh, wait for them to come and tell us. And, and the way it generally works is that countries will express their interest uh, in, in learning about the PCT and asking what they will need to do to be in a position to, to join it. Uh, and as a re- result of those initial conversations between uh, myself, my colleagues, and the government officials from those countries, then... They generally request some training uh, or kind of awareness building for their government, for their IP office, for the patent attorneys uh, in their country. Uh, And in many cases, also, they ask for this assistance that I mentioned before uh, on bringing their legislation or their regulations into uh, compliance uh, with the PCT. So we're we're always available uh, to assist governments in, in whatever ways they would like. As a UN organization, we are accountable to the member states. But we do sometimes check in with offices and governments to see if there's information they would like from us about the PCT or to see if they have any questions. But generally, it's them coming to us and saying, okay, now we're ready. Uh, we want to learn more. What can we do? How can you help us? Uh, and that's the the way it generally works, at least in, in these more recent years. Yeah. And one question I frequently get asked from clients is, you know, do you ever think you'll see countries that are not part of the PCT, which are pretty significant for some clients like Taiwan, Argentina, Pakistan? Do you think those will ever join the PCT? And I'm curious if you you have a view on those. Yeah. um, Well, like I said, uh, when I first started, there were between 50 and 60. And so the list of of non-states was was or non-PCT states was quite long. And uh, we've seen approximately 100 countries uh, join over the last 30 years. And it's been encouraging uh, to me personally, I think, to be involved in helping those approximately 100 countries to join. We do have 37 uh, countries left. Um, we, we keep track. We have a list um, who, which are, are UN member states uh, and have not yet joined the PCT. I, I don't know that we will ever see all of them join in, in my lifetime or certainly before I retire from, from WIPO. Um, uh, Pakistan, you, you mentioned it, they have been making some encouraging noises in recent years, in, including uh, mentioning their plans to join the PCT uh, in an intervention that they made just two days ago, this last Tuesday, during the Standing Committee on Patents that is being currently held in, in Geneva this week. So they said that they announced, you know, publicly that we are working on joining the PCT. So that's always good. We've been in touch with them for some time and providing some assistance. And we've recently been in touch with Bangladesh, um, who are, uh, they've just passed a new patent law. And we are providing some assistance on their new patent regulations that will need to be uh, prepared and and harmonized with PCT and and many, many others. for Argentina, uh, I wish I had uh, better news to share, really. Uh, as I mentioned, I was hired because I spoke Spanish, and and WIPO sent me to Argentina, I think for the first time 
1994. Um, and, and thus, you can see that I, my efforts have not yet been successful. Um, uh, patents, unfortunately, have gotten very politicized in, in Argentina. And depending on the position of the government of the time, things either look good for PCT or they don't look good for PCT, depending. Uh, we have, over the years, made uh, some progress there. Uh, we've met with members of the parliament uh, in both houses, uh, educating and establishing, I think, really good relations with the patent professionals in the country. We've held lots of events, uh, seminars, discussions, uh, working with uh, the patent office, with relevant ministries. And there are actually many PCT users in Argentina currently uh, using it on the basis of there being at least one applicant which has a nationality or a residence of a PCT contracting state. Uh, particularly many users among universities and even some government research institutions, which is which is quite interesting that they they just they absolutely need to use the system and thus they find ways to do it. Um, but th there are some particular national industries. Uh, I don't need to go into details that, that would appear to be somewhat strongly opposed to Argentina's PCT membership. Um, and as a result, we we continue to offer information and assistance whenever they're ready. Uh, as as we do to other countries in the region, also such as Uruguay and Paraguay, uh, who we also hope to see join the system in the not too distant future. And so, Matt, what are your thoughts about Taiwan? Well, uh, I need to tread a little carefully here. It's a politically sensitive issue, as you as your listeners will probably know. First, uh, it's it's important to remember that WIPO is one of the specialized agencies of the United Nations, like like WHO and others that you know. Secondly, uh, membership is in the PCT is only available to states which are a party to the Paris Convention. Uh, this is set out in, in PCT Article 62. And, and the real crux of this and your question uh, goes back to uh, 1971. Uh, the, in 1971, the General Assembly of the United Nations decided that the People's Republic of China was the only representative of China within the United Nations system, and that the entity that is known in the U.S. in the U.N. context as Taiwan Province of China uh, is not a state for the purposes of the United Nations. And since the United Nations does not consider uh, Taiwan Province of China to be a state for its purposes, then it is not possible. Uh, for it to become a party either uh, to the Paris Convention, which is a precursor, or then to join the PCT itself. So, Matt, I wanted to ask you, what do you think is the most common misperception people have about the PCT process? Well, um, I think I would say that the perception probably that it's it's just terribly complicated, um, that it's it's so complicated that it's just hard to get your mind around it and and be able to use it uh, fully. And I just think that like many things, uh, it has levels of detail that take some time to get used to, get your mind around. Uh, like any other detailed topic, it can be learned. Uh, if you use it a lot with experience, um, it, like anything else, it, it becomes something that you, you understand and you see how to use it uh, well and strategically. I think one of the other common misconceptions uh, is that um, because people identify the 30-month the time limit 
so much with the PCT, then those who are not as well-versed in it believe that once you file a PCT application, you are somehow stuck in the international phase for the full 30 months. Uh, and that, of course, they need to be disabused of that notion that, that there there's always the possibility of an early national phase entry uh, when it would be helpful or strategic, in fact, for for you or for your client. What about mistakes? I mean, we all make mistakes. And, and do you see some common mistakes that applicants make during the PCT process? Um, yeah, I mean, certainly there are mistakes. Uh, it's been a lot fewer uh, over over the years. I think a, a general reduction in, in making mistakes. I think some of that's been helped by technology and by the systems we provide, like uh, EPCT. But sure, I mean, some of those that you can't, you know, wink out of existence are the missing time limits, uh, where that whether that's to submit a priority document or correct a priority claim or even enter the national phase. Uh, while there are, in a number of those cases, there are mechanisms that we've added to the PCT system over the years to provide for excuse of delay in those situations. Users, of course, should never rely on those provisions uh, and should never intentionally miss a time limit. Uh, we know what happens. Uh, always make some serious efforts to comply with the established timeframes. But of course, we know that there are omissions and, and things happen. Another common mistake is is probably uh, addressing uh, a PCT communication to the wrong office or authority. So you, the application, uh, you get your search report, you want to make Article 19 amendments, um, and you think, well, I need to submit these to the ISA. Well, no, those actually go to the International Bureau, um, uh, to us here in Geneva, or you realize or your client requests that you withdraw the application. Um, or that you uh, you need to record a change to the indications of the applicant or the inventors, and you send those, either the notice of withdrawal or the uh, Rule 92 BIS request to the receiving office, for example. And and in theory, you can uh, do that. Um, we've even been unfortunately unable for to get the member states to allow us to change the rules um, to foreclose that. You can do so, but it's a real risk to do so. It's a mistake, in fact, to do so, uh, because if there's a delay in the receiving office, then turning around and forwarding it on to us. In the meantime, for example, if we've published the application and you've submitted a notice of withdrawal, that could be a bad situation for the for the applicant. So it, it's a mistake to to send it to someone other than the authority that you need to send it to. And withdrawals, we we plead with everyone to send those directly to to us or to do it in EPCT which is even better, uh, using the action provided in EPCT uh, so that publication is uh, is blocked. And then probably the last one I'd mention is, is just basic typographical errors in priority claims, you know, juxtaposing, transposing, juxtaposing uh, digits in the date or in the uh, priority application number. We, we still see, unfortunately, uh, you know, too many of those and then that they cause problems for the, uh, for the applicant. And Matt, what suggestions or tips would you have for how people can maximize their benefits uh, during the PCT process? Well, as I just alluded, I think the first one I would say would be use the EPCT platform, the EPCT system. It really is now, uh, I think, what we would qualify as a, a best practice. And there again, we're happy to provide a training and support on it. Uh, if anyone is is getting used to it or they have questions, we have some excellent colleagues who are real experts and, and who've created the system, in fact, and they can be very helpful in, in guiding 
uh, users and how to to uh, make the make the most of it. Uh, other suggestion, and maybe this is is too obvious to too many of your listeners, but use a competent patent attorney to advise you and represent you and prepare your application. But we do deal with a lot of uh, pro se applicants, people who are trying to navigate uh, the system on their own. They don't want to pay for a patent attorney, and unfortunately, often get wound up in, in very difficult issues because they haven't been represented by someone who understands all of the uh, all the issues. Um, carefully review the contents of the search report when you receive it. There are some good opportunities uh, for you to learn from the, the content in many cases of what the, uh, the reports uh, indicate. I think it's a, a good idea always to log in to the PCT, to the EPCT system and review your PCT application immediately after you filed it to try to ensure that, that you catch any mistakes and you can get them corrected even the same day that you filed. Um, I think a, a good idea is also to assess carefully your potential choices of searching authority. You, you really may have more options than you think uh, if you consider various receiving offices, for example, that you could file with. It may give you a wider choice than just a single receiving office. Um, use the PPH system, the Patent Prosecution Highway, uh, or consider using it, which can save time uh, and money in the, the national phase. Uh, we always encourage uh, users to review all the forms and all the invitations that they receive uh, during the international phase. They do provide useful reminders and, and information. Um, not because we're trying to get any business for the receiving office here at WIPO, but you really ought to consider filing at the receiving office of the International Bureau, as we call it, because there are a number of, of reasons why you might want to at least consider it, including that issue of, of a wider range of searching authorities. If you have applicants from various countries, you may all of a sudden have a, a wider range uh, than, than you previously thought. And then use the, the PCD mechanism for recording changes. Uh, this is under the Rule 92 best that I mentioned a minute ago. Uh, before entering the national phase, try to get all those done before you hit the national phase time limit because it does save you time, it saves you money, uh, and hopefully you have easier access to the inventors and things like that uh, than you may have uh, once you've entered the national phase. Well, Matt, as the podcast comes to a close, if you could have any three wishes or a vision realized for your division, what would that be? Uh, great question. Um, can I name four four wishes? I, I have four wishes. Sure, go for it. <laughs> Number one, uh, all the countries of interest to users would join the PCT. I love that wish. <laughs> from from my lips to, to God's ears, as, as we say. Yes. Um, all, Number two, um, that all PCT member states uh, would use the PCT as intended. Uh, and that, that would include, I think, bringing their legal frameworks into compatibility with the PCT legal framework. We, uh, In one of those tables that we have consolidated for users on the website, you can still see that we have approximately 100, the neighborhood of 100 individual country incompatibilities with particular rules. And that means that certain protections that we've implemented in PCT aren't available uh, to applicants from certain countries or entering the national phase in certain countries. So that's that's number two, the, the changing of their legal frameworks and, and withdrawing all those notifications of incompatibility. Third, that all offices, I think, would in the national phase 
stand behind the PCT work that they themselves undertake in the international phase. Uh, the, one of the main reasons why the PCT was created in the first place uh, back in the 1960s was to reduce unnecessary duplication. And so when an office as an ISA carries out work, uh, we believe it's, it's essential uh, for that office to take that work, maybe do a, a top-up search on it to see what else has become available, but to stand behind that work uh, when that same application enters the national phase before that same office. And, and lastly, um, that all offices would send to us at the International Bureau in a timely way the national phase entry data that they are legally required to do under the PCD regulations. We, we want to turn that very useful data into tools and into analytics for users, um, but we need good and complete data and we don't always uh, receive it from, uh, from the offices. Those are my four wishes. Well, that was a really great way to end this episode. Matt, thank you so much for joining us on the air. Well, that's a wrap for this week's show. Thank you again to this week's sponsor, Wellspring. Catch you next time on the air. I'm your host, Lisa Mueller, signing off. Thanks for listening to Autumn on the Air with Lisa Mueller. Get social with us and share your thoughts. You can tweet us at AUTM or visit us online at AUTM.net. We'll be back next week on the air. Be sure to join us. New to tech transfer or a seasoned pro? Autumn is the global member organization for tech transfer and is here to help you get connected, get smart, and get ahead. Whether you work in academia, research, government, business development, corporate engagement, or startups, Autumn is dedicated to supporting you through education, advocacy, networking, and promotion. Join and you'll receive 20 free live webinars, as well as meaningful discounts on meetings and courses insider access to a vast network of colleagues to help you through challenges, and a line on new technologies and the university decision makers who license them. Membership is open for 2023. Join us.